Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. All right, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Jeremy Miner, the founder and chairman of 7th Level. With 17 years of sales experience and education background from Utah Valley University, Jeremy founded 7th Level, a sales training mastery company that helps sales professionals break traditional selling techniques. In just three years, Jeremy has helped over 141,000 salespeople 3x, 5x, and even 10x their sales results. Featured on Forbes, USA Today, Inc., Entrepreneur Magazine, Thrive Global, Yahoo Finance, and more. Jeremy also co-authored a book this year with Jerry Acuff, CEO of Delta Point, called The New Model of Selling, Selling to an Unsellable Generation. From sales and beyond, Jeremy is not afraid to tackle it all, and here to to share that story is Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you, my friend, for being here. Hey, thanks for having me uh, come out, Drew. My assistant must have sent you an old bio from two years ago, because at this point, we're 390 some thousand salespeople we've trained. So she must ah. see you buy it from like two years ago, but that's all right. I'm like, what? I never heard that one. Uh, but hey, it's a pleasure being on your show and uh, look forward to, you know, giving your audience everything we've done. And, you know, this is our fourth year now. Okay. The good, the good, the bad, the ugly that's, that's gotten us to where we're at and, and we're still growing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, tell me this. How did this get started? Seventh level. So I, uh, so I had, a, I had a very successful uh, sales career. I retired when I was uh, back in twenty seven. Yeah, twenty seventeen. I retired. So it's thirty thirty nine then. Yeah, something like that. I'm getting old. So I retired from my career. I was like, you know, when I say retired, like I was like, well, I'll just take a couple years off. Maybe I'll get into real estate because I was trying to. I was doing some of that, dabbling in that. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just take a couple years off. Yeah. But after about a year, I just kind of started getting bored. And I started seeing all these ads on like Instagram and YouTube and, and Facebook from, you know, what I call the the sales gurus talking about like, oh, you know, when you, you know, 1,001 closing techniques and I would read them and I'm like, those don't work at all. Like, <laughs> like if I would have used those, I would have made 90% less in my career than I did. Mm-hmm. And so it started getting me to think like, man, I see all this training out there and I see all these salespeople like want to acquire knowledge, but they're just not acquiring the right knowledge. Because like I said, I, you know, my background's behavioral science and human psychology. So I quickly found that what my professors were teaching me, you know, people like Robert Caldini, you know, uh, yeah. that has the, the best-selling book, Persuasion, and he talks about persuasion and all these different things. And, you know, I was learning um, human behavior from like, you know, psychologists at NYU and like just people that really know what they're talking about. And they were saying that the the highest form of persuasion was over here, yet the sales gurus, they were all basically saying it was over here. It was like exactly the opposite when I first got my first sales job and I was like a 21, 20-year-old kid. And I started like, okay, how do I, you know, this, the sales stuff from the gurus, it seemed like it would always trigger sales resistance. People would pick, put their guard up. Then I'd have to overcome objections all the time. And it was just like this constant battle and like mind games mm. with yourself where you just have anxiety and you're nervous and you have all this pressure all the time because people get buyer's remorse and they cancel and you're trying to push, push, push. And it just works against human behavior. So I'm like, how do I take what I'm learning from behavioral science, like the theory 
of this, the way the brain makes decisions. How does the brain decide to go left or right? Why does the brain decide to go look up instead of down? You know, why does the brain say yes or say no? Like what triggers us to make decisions in the buying process? That's really what behavioral science is. And so I'm like, how do I take that theory and wrap that into my sales process? And I, I really started having to do that like very early on, you know, as a 22 year old kid, because I didn't have a choice. I wasn't making that much money using the old selling techniques. Sure. And so I learned how to get my prospects. I, I started using techniques that would work with human behavior rather than work against it. And I noticed that my prospects were just like letting their guard down. It was like triggering them. It was like disarming them where they just became open to me and would tell me everything and basically sell themselves. And so I learned how to get them to pull me in, right, where they were chasing me rather than me trying to push and 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 mangle them forward. And, and at that point, selling became very, very easy and extremely profitable for sure. That's that's how I got started. So basically seeing all those gurus, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I should do something. And I just jumped in in 2018. And that's where it all started. What what industry were you in doing sales? I was in four different industries. Okay. So I was in two B2C, business to consumer. And then I was in two B2B, okay, business to business. That's why like our clients, out of all the salespeople we train, I think right now we did a survey 50, I think 59% are in B2C sales. And 41% are in B2B, which, and that's typically the break anyways, because there's more B2C sales out there than B2B anyways, just right. kind of the way the break works. Uh, but the first industry I sold in was door-to-door -door home security systems. So that's really B2C, that's residential. The second industry I sold B2B, I got into like um, debt um, consolidation with like SMB companies, sometimes a little bit higher, where you're calling them, like they were in debt, you're helping them like you know, move that debt around for lower interest rate and stuff. So a lot of cold calling and stuff did exceptionally well there. Um, and then I got into the third one was uh, network marketing. So that's yeah. really B2C. I still hold records in that. I'm in the in the MLM Hall of Fame and I was only in it for four years. <laughs> I'm, I'm ranking the top 150 earners of all time. And I was only in, I was only in, and I'm talking to like a, out of every MLM company. Wow. And I was only in it for four years. So I was making multiple seven figures here. It's very easy to, to do that once you learn how to communicate people. And then the last industry was a hybrid of B2B and B2C. It was more like high ticket events for like investors, like 50 grand events, 100 grand events. But you're speaking to like more companies, sometimes individuals, but a lot of times companies and stuff. So I, B2B and B2C, I understand, you know, the, the ins and outs because I, you know, I was just in the trenches doing them. Do you see the sales philosophies being different? whether you're doing B2B sales or B2C or? No, the, the same structure that we train companies is all the same. Whether we train, you know, like Google AdWords is one of our large, obviously largest client, we train like four of their divisions. Um, you know, that's the same as if we train like a home improvement company that's selling residential cabinets. Like mm. the structure of the sales process is all the same from like connecting questions to situation questions, to problem awareness, to solution awareness, to consequence questions, to, you know, how we present to the, you know, commitment stage. But the only difference is like in B2C, you're typically, it's a one call close, right? Okay. Uh, sometimes B2C sales is a two call close. It just depends. Like if, let's say if you're selling home improvement windows, sometimes you, you know, you might knock on the door, qualify them, then set an appointment to come back later. It, it just depends. Sometimes somebody else is setting that appointment and then you're coming in for the close. So it's more of a two call close. Sometimes it's just a one call close where you're on, you know, on a telephone, you know, selling an insurance policy that might just yeah. be a one call close. Now B2B, 
you're typically not in a one call close, right? Especially the larger the companies are, typically the longer the sales cycle is because it has to go through legal, has to go through a board approval. Like there's just different things that the board has in their bylaws that they have to follow. So a lot of times when we see salespeople that let's say if they sold cars and they're like, oh, I want to sell cybersecurity now. And they come <laughs> and try to for the kill of that first discovery call, they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't sell anything. Well, it's not like they're giving you an objection when they say it has to go through legal, like that's in the company's bylaws. Like right. they can't approve the decision without it first literally going through legal or they're going to get fired. Like you can't overcome that concern. Now you have to know how to navigate through that company where you get other decision makers involved, because let's say you're doing that first call discovery, you know, that's just like one decision maker. But the average company, I read an article in Forbes a few months ago, the average company in the United States of America, it's very similar throughout the developed world. There's 6.7 decision makers and or influencers making that decision in the average size company. I'm not even talking about enterprise level companies. Mm. Like if you're selling to like, you know, freaking uh, Adobe, there might be 15 people that have to pass on that uh, of that decision. Now, I'm not saying that they are all decision makers. Let's say the average, you know, there's seven, seven people involved in that decision, but there might only be two or three that make the final decision, but you're going to have others that influence what they decide. Let's right. say you're selling cybersecurity and, you know, the, the, the chief technology officer might not be able to make the decision but he can influence, let's say, the CEO, who's the ultimate decider, which way to go. And that CTO might be threatened by your new software. They might feel like their job's on the line because now their boss is going to know that really they're not doing as well as they could be. Like there's so many different things you have to understand in B2B and how to navigate through an organization to get all decision makers and influencers on your side to have complete control of that sale. Whereas B2C, it's just you and the consumer. So it's just, it's just different. But in B2B, typically they're larger priced items. You know, you're not really selling something that's a thousand dollars. You know, you're not, it, or a hundred dollars a month, right? Typically, that's not really the case. Now there are certain circumstances around that, but you know, you're, you know, some companies we train have solutions that are 10 to $50 million sales wow. just for one sale to a company. So it just depends. So it's B2C to B2B, it's really understanding the different ins and outs of, the sales process is different. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. Uh, I want to I want to come back in just a few minutes to some sales questions for you. But as a business owner yourself, going from hey, you're out there doing your craft, being a salesperson, to now I'm building a sales company, right? A training yeah. company, and and all the things that you all do. What has that journey been like for you, building that business? Man, I'll tell you, the first year and a half was really, really hard. I'm just going to be real with everybody here, like. You know, we're a large company now, uh, probably in the top 10 revenue wise of all sales training companies in the United States within our wow. fourth year. But the first year and a half, we were like right here because the first year and a half, it was basically me. And I convinced my assistant from my former job to come work for me as my assistant. And we had one part time salesperson mm -hmm. for the first year and a half. Okay. So imagine me, like I'm the one that, you know, wrote all the content, recorded all the content for our virtual training courses, was doing all of that, uh, was doing the group training for our clients, was doing webinars, was trying to put together the webinars, was trying to figure out how to write copy, was trying to figure out how to do ads, trying to run the business. And like, I don't know how to do any of that. 
I'd never ran a company before, right? Like I, at one company, I was a vice president of sales. So I, I ran sales teams. I knew how to do that, but it's completely different than running a yeah. company. Because when, when vendors would come to me like, oh, you know, we can do your marketing for Facebook ads. We're the best on planet earth. Oh, here's 50 grand. Like I was just throwing money, like trying to see if something mm. would work. And that's not a good strategy. So about a year and a half in, uh, luckily for me, and I don't think anything's by luck. I think it's by divine intervention in my mind. Okay. So uh, what happened is one of my clients who owned a bunch of gyms over in Australia, we helped him scale that. He sold that. I'm like convinced him to come over and be my business partner and CEO of the company to actually run the company, the business, because he was extremely talented in that. I saw that as a leader and just how he managed and everything did that. And so he came over and he brought over, um, he brought over uh, another person. His name's Marco Cortese. He's now our chief revenue officer and Marco runs all of our sales and marketing. He's over those divisions. Like he's over our VP of sales and our VP of marketing. And so we just, when we started doing that and we started bringing our marketing internal, cause we understand the brand the best. We just went mm. like this like very quickly. We went from like literally nothing to like millions and millions of dollars of revenue a month, like overnight. And so that's where we got on the Inc. 5, you know, yep. the, your show, the Inc. 5000 list. I think in 2020, we were ranked 1200 something. And then 2021 last year, we were like 390, 391. I can't remember. I'll have to look back there. And then I'm assuming we'll get it in 2022. We'll, I'm assuming we'll probably in the top 100 with our revenues. But, uh, you know, if we look on that list, both of those years, we were the fastest growing sales training company. So it's really about having, you know, I figured out really quick, you can have the best training, you can have the best products, the best services, but you are not going anywhere until you have the right team around you that, that have skills and strengths that you mm. don't have. So my strengths were obviously training and fulfillment and all that type of stuff, but I didn't have a strength of running a company and scaling it. I'd never done it, right? So when you bring in the right people that have strengths where you have weaknesses and you focus on your core ability and strength and you let them run that, like you can scale very, very quickly. Like I know you read that I was the chairman and founder. I just, I'm not even the chairman yeah. anymore. So I was the CEO. Then he came in and was the CEO. Now we have a new chairman of the board because the chairman of a board in a real company, like you have to, you have to do a lot of like administrative work. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So like, well, you shouldn't be the chairman. So now I'm just like literally the founder. I'm like nothing. I'm just the founder of the company. So as you grow, and I don't have anything to do with running the day-to-day -day business. I'm not on any of the meetings. I don't do any of that stuff. I just focus wow. on the training and the content and developing new products. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like this, like Tony Robbins. You know, I, you know, Tony and I do different things, but he's focused on his content, his what's he's going to say in the events. He's not like sitting there running the day to day business every day. He probably has a CEO that does yeah. that. Right. And that's why his company is exploded. Plus, obviously, his content gets results. Right. So if you have training, if you have programs or products or services that get clients like massive results and you have the right team to help you in like marketing and sales and management and running the business, like it's pretty much impossible not to scale and become very successful in my mind. But if you don't have those pieces, man, it's freaking hard. Yeah. Was it, it, was it freeing or scary or both making that decision to bring in those players and give them some of that control? I mean, to me, to me, it was freeing because like it, it just, it let me focus on my core yeah. strengths what I'm really, really strong at. 
and my weaknesses. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't have to learn all that because how, yeah. how can you? Now, I realize in the beginning when you start your own thing, it's like you're, you know, some sometimes people have just like shoestring budgets. So they're just kind of like they have to do everything until they have enough revenue to bring in other people. But I would always suggest like because I have some friends you know, and I'm, st I'm still not understanding why they do this, but like, I'm not giving any ownership to anybody. It's just going to be me and blah, blah. I'm like, well, that's your problem. Like you want to have a business partner that is exceptionally talented in what yes. you're not and vice versa. You don't want to bring in a business partner that has the same exact skills as you do because you, you're, you know, your company's going to be over here, but you need all this. So you want to bring in a business partner that has skills that you, the completely mm. opposite of yours in my mind. Okay. Um, and so uh, I see a lot of people like solopreneurs that just have this mindset of like, I'm only going to be the only owner. It's just going to be being like, well, it's going to take you a long time to grow because you don't have strengths that somebody else could. Now, that other person you bring in, you don't just bring in some, you know, guy or gal that you don't know that's not vetted, that hasn't done it before. Like you want to bring in somebody that's like quite literally done it before and knows what they're doing, not just has some good mm. ideas. Because good ideas and then execution of those ideas are two completely different yeah, skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> how do you see what those complementary skills are? So if you're kind of the face, the content creator. I'm like the brand right. ambassador. They even, gave, they even gave me a title. I'm, I'm now the chief um, – the chief uh, creative officer, whatever that means. I'm like, hey, thanks for the title, but you know, I'll just stick to founder. Um, but it's it's just having skill sets. Like you know, now our, our chief revenue officer is exceptionally talented in scaling all of mm. our marketing ads. You know, like we dominate on Facebook. Out of all the sales training companies in the United States, we spend the most on mm. Facebook ads over any company you see on there. We spend the most. We we have the data now. So like we dominate there. We also dominate really, really well on Instagram now. Now, if YouTube, we don't. That's something we just bought a media buyer. And so now we're really focused on YouTube ads in 2023. It's just a nut we haven't cracked yet. We haven't, we're not, even though we've grown really, really fast, it's like you can't grow too fast. And that's one thing like our CEO would always tell me, because I'm like, well, we're spending X, Y, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on ads. Like, let's just double it. And he's like, okay, well, if we double sales in a month, you're going to break our fulfillment because we have to now double the sales trainers. We have to double the fulfillment. We have to double all this stuff. And I just wouldn't think of that. I'm like, well, let's just go. Like the ads are converting. They've just been twice as much. Well, the problem is, is if you double all of that, you can't catch up quick enough to double the fulfillment. And then your clients don't get all the results sure. they wanted to. And then that affects the brand long-term. So sometimes even we've grown like, you know, crazy fast, even in the last year, you know, grow by 1400% over the year before, which we grew like crazy. Sometimes we just have to pump the brakes a little bit and not grow too fast to overwhelm your fulfillment. So you have to think long-term, you want your business to be around 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, hundred years. Like when you're gone, you have to focus on your customers and fulfillment of what they bought from you and make that a great experience, even with your customer service. Cause let's say you double your sales overnight. Well, how are you going to go double your customer service department overnight? Yeah. You can't. And now you get complaints. And like, so there's just things like that, that I just didn't understand because I was a salesperson and sales manager and VP of sales. I never saw that side of the business because I wasn't an owner of the companies I worked right. for. Right. And so now I understand it a little bit better, but I don't, I don't specialize in that. We have people that do that. And that's why we're scaling. So far. what is, what does fulfillment look like for you all? Is it a combination of products you've already created that are digital that people go through at their own pace yeah. is it 
uh, direct, you know, you have people that have to work directly with clients. Like how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. It depends on if they're B2, like if they're a company compared to like, we, we train a huge uh, insurance company. It's like 22,000 agents. Okay. So we have like training calls with them, like group training calls with them that we have to fulfill. We also have to feel like making sure that all thousands of their reps have access to the virtual training portal. You know, that's a 37 hour course that they go through and who onboards all those people, like who shows them how to use them. They didn't, we don't do it one-on-one, but we have tutorials that walk people through how to operate that. We have tutorials, we have sales, uh, we have sales trainers, like let's say they're a company that has 10 reps on there that will schedule a call. And then they walk them through how to, you know, how to track the progress of all the reps going through that platform. So uh, that's what I'm talking about. We even have group training calls where, you know, on Mondays we focus on scripting as a group. There might be 500 sales, like individual B2C salespeople on there. When I say B2C, I mean like they could sell B2B, but they're like the company didn't pay for it. They paid for the training themselves. One might be a medical device salesperson. One might be selling insurance. One might sell cars. One might sell high ticket coaching. One might sell network marketing. One might sell as a real estate agent. So there, you know, there might be 500 people on that weekly, you know, group training where I help them as a group, show them how to tie in NEPQ, neuroemotional persuasion question, our methodology to their industry and make it specific. So that's like group training. We have to fulfill that. I actually do that myself. That's our advanced inner circle training. But then we have other programs that are below that, like NEPQ advanced 3.0, where we have sales trainers that do all that stuff. And there's like maybe a thousand people on each one of those or more. So you have to, you have to not only hire people, but you have to hire people that have actually gone through the training that are certified that went out and used it for their industries and crushed it. And now we bring them over. And a lot of times we have industry specific trainings as well. Mm. So like, you know, on Tuesday, we might have industry specific training for only insurance agents where we help them tie in NEPQ to what they sell. Mondays, it might be solar. You know, Wednesdays, it might be real estate agents. So we're, we're big now where we can bring in clients who took the training a few years ago and like quadrupled four times their income. And now we pay them to be sales trainers on the side for us to be able to show our clients how to tie in NEPQ to their industry, industry specific. Can you so can you explain what NEPQ is? Yeah, NEPQ stands for neuro emotional persuasion questioning. So my background, human behavior and psych, uh, human psychology, that's what I went to school for. I actually dropped out my senior year. I still have 13 credits left. Because <laughs> people are like, oh, you got your degree? I'm like, technically, no, I still have 13 credits left. But I was so involved in my sales career there, like I was a 22, 23-year-old kid and I was still taking like, I couldn't pass college algebra just to be real with everybody. Like I hated that. It was like my last thing. I'm like, how am I going to pass this? Like math, like that doesn't make any, my brain doesn't work that way. It's like, I might as well be reading like Mandarin. You just like, I, I have no idea what this means, right? X plus Y equals Z divided by four. Like, okay, that makes zero sense to me. So I would walk into class and here I am, you know, I, I probably at that age, I was probably making like 70,000 a month in commissions Damn. a month. And I was walking in, I was 23, 24, I was walking into my professor who was making that in a year. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And so as a salesperson, I'm like, I don't need a degree, right? Like I've, I, I'm still learning. I want to make more money. But for a salesperson, like what, what good is this degree going to give me? Mm. Nothing. Now for some, you have to get a degree. If you're going to be an attorney, doctor, you know, nurse, you have to like have a degree, but for salespeople and business people, I find that school, I think, is a good start, but you're not really learning advanced material 
um, you know, by, and I'm not saying all professors are like this, but by a professor who might've never owned their own company in the first For place, sure. they're just teaching the theory, you know, or they don't understand. There's not really any sales training courses in colleges that I know of. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I just figured like, I just started learning more like by going to events, you know, by, by human psychologists that would write a book about, you know, why the, why the reptilian part of our brain triggers fight or flight mode. And I would learn way more from going to a weekend event than I would an entire semester of paying a college thousands of dollars to go to, Sure, you know, can you give an example of, of what it looks like to apply NEPQ to a sales situation? But in what situation? Give me some context. Oh, I don't know. I'm just curious of what that. What, in, what industry? What industry do you come from? So I do. I, I coach founders of fast growing companies. Okay. So do you come in and like teach them how to scale their companies? What do you do? Like what? No. So we're doing. We're on the people side, right? So typically we're helping their leadership team avoid burnout and uh, you know see and, and and navigate their blind spots. Yeah. Um, so that we can get more out of people. So here's a consequence question. So what happens if you don't do anything about this and your sales managers keep getting burned out and then they start leaving for other companies? Like what happens to you guys at that point? Have you thought about the the ramifications if if you guys don't do anything about this burnout and then your managers go to yeah. other companies? See, that's a consequence question. Uh, so that's just I'm that's just an example. You're not asking that in the first part yeah. of the conversation. That's more, that's more towards the end where you get them to think like the consequences or ramifications of not yeah. doing anything. So I'm just giving an example. That's just off the top of my head. No, it's really good. Cause that was the hardest part for me going from similar to you going from like a practitioner to having to be a salesperson for my own business. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't good at the sales conversation because yeah. all I knew was when someone said, yes, like, help, help me with this. I know I can help you, yeah. but navigating the conversation to see the need, understand the ramifications was difficult. Well, especially if you're talking to a company, right? right? Because when you're talking to that company, who would you normally talk to? Like a department head first, like human resources or who? It started that way and it almost always stalled out. And so I yeah. started going straight to the top. So now yeah. almost all my sales comes from starting with the founder. And if I get passed anywhere, I get passed down, you know? It depends on your industry. If you want to start in the middle or the top, it just kind of depends. Like in large, like huge enterprise companies, it's almost impossible to start at the top True. and they get annoyed at that. Cause you, like, if you try to get a hold of, let's say I'm just throwing this out, the CEO of Google, well, right. number one, you're never going to get them. Number two, they would be annoyed because they don't even, de they don't make decisions like that. Yeah. Their department heads do, right? Yeah. So their department heads get a budget for, let's say training. Let's say you're, you know, in your category, you know, avoiding burnout stuff would be in their mind, like training or some type of health yeah. and wellness training or mental training. Right. So let's say they're going to have a budget of, you know, 150,000, uh, you know, in the next, uh, year or the next six months for that. And once it's spent like with those large enterprise companies, it's very hard unless you're really good at getting them to pull money from other departments. It's not like they don't have the money, but they give their department heads permission to spend that money. And the department heads quite literally decide, not yeah. like the CEO, right? But if it's like SMB companies, yes. you know, that you might be dealing with, that's, that's a whole different, you'd probably start more at the top there. 
No, that's that's spot on. You know, we have we have a few like really large Fortune 500 clients, and yeah. no way we're starting at the top. No, but our, our bread, <laughs> yeah, no, no way. Yeah. Uh, but our bread and butter is like you know 50 to 150 employees, that kind of SMB category, yeah. and those founders are still a lot of times holding on to control, and they're yeah. the one that wants to know who's influencing their people, and there's only like one or maybe even two. Yeah, that was, I mean, that, that would be like us. Like we're under right now, we're under 150 employees yes. worldwide. Right. So that would be like what we would be uh, considered as. And you wouldn't even like you wouldn't even go to me at that. Like, but you could get like to our right. CEO. Yeah, exactly. Sense. So, there, yeah. Yeah, man, that makes a whole lot of sense. I want to um, what I'm curious about is if you could change the mind, like if someone's listening and they have to do, they either are a salesperson or they're like me, they're, they're the owner of their company and they have to sell their company. What is one thing that you wish you could help or change their mind about regarding sales? I think, I think it's the same. I think most people are afraid of sales and I don't blame them. And I know why they're afraid of sales because they've been forced to learn techniques that work against human mm. behavior that trigger sales resistance, that trigger objections, and ultimately trigger massive rejection. And as a human being, that's the one thing we fear the most is being rejected, yeah. right? Yeah. So once you learn how to use techniques that work with human behavior, that actually trigger the prospect to let their guard down and become open to you, okay? And you know how to help them find problems that they didn't even know they had, Selling becomes very enjoyable because it's a two-way street. Like most sales training will teach you, like all these books behind me, for the most part, nine out of 10 of them on those shelves, if, you, if you're watching this, are going to say like, you know, hey, and they don't say it in this word, but it, the way they come across, it means this. It, they basically train that selling is adversarial. Yeah. It's you against the prospect trying to win them over, manipulate them to purchase so you can make money. Well, that's what average salespeople do in our time. That's what average salespeople do, like our bad salespeople that don't sell that yeah. much. Okay. You want to sell a ton. You want to make multiple six figures a year or more in commissions in your industry listening here. You know, if you're a salesperson or if you're a business owner that wants to scale to seven figures and then eight figures, and then eventually nine figures plus, you have to understand and your sales teams have to understand that selling is collaborative. It's you working with your prospects to help them find and solve problems to get them where they want yeah. to be. Because there's never been a product or service of any type ever invented that doesn't either solve a problem and or an emotional need, right? Like even if you sell luxury cars, if you sell Lamborghinis that sell for four to $500,000, that doesn't really solve a problem because if they want to go from point A to point B, they can drive a used Honda but it does solve an emotional mm. need. There's an emotional need that's solved by a human being going and spending $500,000 on a vehicle rather than 30 grand on a vehicle, right? It's more status in their community. Maybe as a child, they were poor. So they want to prove to their classmates or their neighbors that they've arrived and that they're really successful. See, you're solving an emotional yeah. need. So in any sales situation, it's up to you to solve that prospect's problems and or emotional needs. Now you can only learn how to do that by learning the right skills. 
Because if you can't learn the right skills, if you can't learn the right questions to open the prospect up, to get them to go below the surface and tell you the truth of what's really going on, they stay surface level with you in that sales process. And at the end, they say, well, this sounds really good, but I really need to think this over. I really need to pray about it. It's a big decision. I don't make rash decisions like this. I need to do more research. I need to look at other vendors. I need to get other quotes. And the only reason why they said that is because your questioning ability and especially your tone triggered them to emotionally shut mm -hmm. down because you probably sound scripted with your questions, okay? It triggered them to emotionally shut down. They stayed surface level and they never open up to you. So you're never able to build a gap from where they are compared to where they want to be. What's the gap? All these newfound problems that your questioning skills can allow them to see they have they didn't know they had or they didn't understand they had. And that's why you get all those crazy objections at the end. I'd rather prevent most of those objections from even happening. It makes selling so much easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you do? You know, obviously you're hoping that through the right questions and the relationship you create, you don't get to this point. But I've still gotten to the point where there were no objections that I was aware of. We got to the like, yeah, we're going to press go. And then you get ghosted. Well, that's, be right? well, that's because they, they, yeah. So give me, give me some, give me an example. Just give me one example where that happened. Uh, man, we went through discovery call. We went through, all right, great. I need to get this, you know, person who's in charge of all people development on the phone. Awesome. They were so excited. We even talked about where we were okay, going to hold on. What happens if you go to, to Dwayne over at purchasing and you tell them that you guys want to take part of your, your annual budget to put in the training. So your sales managers don't burn out, but then they don't want you to do it. Like, what would you do at that point? See, it's these questions where you have to find. So let's say that you go to him, like what potential pushback would you get from the board? Mm. So you've got to ask those type of questions in a B2B setting. Yeah. And they're like, well, if I do go to Dwayne, there is a possibility he might not like it. See, that's a red flag yeah. that I now have to do with that. Because if you just let them go, like, oh, they're going to go take care of it and talk to this person, that person, man, like you have no control of that sales process because those other two people might shut your person that's on your side down yeah. quickly. So you got to prep for that, especially in a B2B setting by saying like, okay, so let's, this is a, another consequence question. It's just using a different format. Okay, but what happens if you go to Dwayne and he doesn't want you to take part of the budget to put into the skill, the, the workshop, like what happens to your management team at that point if they're still burned out? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but okay, but once again, Let's they say like, well, I know he'd want to do it, blah, blah. Okay, but what happens if you go to him and he doesn't want to? Like, what happens to you guys at that point? Okay, so it's like a double consequence question. Or you could, a question that works really, really well, like if they're going to go to the board or legal or something, right? Because it has to go through that, especially when you're selling enterprise, it's just in the bylaws. And you say, well, what potential pushback do you feel you might get from the board? Well, you know, I think he would want to and she, but, you know, Dwayne, he's, he always hates spending money. See, now you got a problem. Yeah. Now you have to find out who Dwayne is and what Dwayne's role is in this and then see if we can get Dwayne on a next meeting or call. Heck yeah. That gives you more control of the sales process. Yeah. It's also helping discover what issues they might run into that they haven't made aware to you. And you can go ahead and yeah. be a part of that conversation. Also, you keep. Yeah. it seems like you keep bringing it back to the consequence of not making the decision, right? The consequence that I'm also tying in get them getting the funds or the money to the end result. Okay. Right. If they can get the funding, and the money, they get what they want. If they can't get the funding or money, they don't get what they want. So when you tie in the money with the result they want, 
they don't look at the money as like price or cost-based thinking. They look at it as more of the result-based thinking. Yeah. And that makes the cost seem very cheap when they're thinking about the end result. If they're just thinking about the cost or price and they're not thinking about the end result, that's when you're in trouble. Mm. But you can help control that by the questions you ask. Yeah, so good. What gets, what, you know, I know we've only got about five minutes left here, four minutes left. Uh, what gets yeah. you most excited about the future for your company and where you're, you're building this out to? No, we get it. We, we are crazy people over here, but we, we love testimonials. We have over 11,000 at this point in, in our, you know, in the last 30 months, actually, we, we have a person that only looks for testimonials. Like, cause a lot of people will post them in our Facebook group, sales revolution. We got like 40 some thousand people in there, or they'll post them like on our IG reels and ads, like they're clients of ours. So we quite literally have a person that's all they do is track down testimonials every day. Wow. And so that tells us the results we're getting for our clients, if that makes sense. We have more than, you know, sales training companies have been around since the seventies that are 50 years old, that are very large corporations that are bigger than us right now. And so that keeps us going where we know that we're impacting those people's life. And we don't even ask people to post those. They just post, if we asked everybody, we'd probably have four times as much. I don't even know. But, you know, the testimonies like show us like, hey, we're getting these people results. We're, you know, what they paid for, they're getting 10 times more. So let's say if they paid for one of our advanced courses and they put in seven or $8,000, but now they're making 15,000 more per month in commissions. Well, that's pretty cheap comparatively speaking, right? Yeah. For, for that project. So that's what keeps me going. That's why I keep getting up every day and getting on podcasts. And, you know, we do 160 reels a month, wow. you know, of just, we give out little nibbles, you know, little hors d'oeuvres, you know, to wet people's mouths and, and those type of things. And that, that requires a lot of work to do all that stuff. You know, it, we don't just shoot 160 reels in like in an hour. You know, yeah. so we, we repurpose some of our group training. We don't repurpose our virtual training content for our clients. Like nobody has that unless they're a client and that's where all the magic is. But all of our reels, we, we, we repurpose this, you know, we'll probably take three or four clips of this and they'll be in reels three weeks from now, you know, somewhere. So we do that on, you know, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, TikTok, you know, Facebook, YouTube shorts now. And so we do 14 a week. So we do two a day on each platform. Yeah. Plus on IG, we do two reels a day plus two training posts today. So they're seeing it like four times a day. So just, you know, you got to keep up the content machine, I guess. How often are you creating content? So that's all I, so my Thursdays and Fridays, I dedicate, uh, well, like I said, the repurposed content, like we just do from, I'm usually on about three to four guest podcasts a week. Plus I do two hour and a half training calls per week for some of our advanced clients. All that gets repurposed. Plus all my keynotes. I usually will do one to two keynote keynotes a month. Mm -hmm. Um, keynotes are not like a really big part of our business. You know, we get paid to do the keynote, but it's not like we get paid millions of dollars to do a keynote. It's not a big part of our business, but we do it because we can create reels and repurpose it, if that makes yeah. sense. So that all gets chopped up. Out of the 160 reels we do a month, about 100 to 110 of those come from just repurposed stuff we're already doing. Oh, wow. Right? The other 50 are, are intentionals that we do. So we have a content manager that goes into like YouTube and the search engines and finds out what salespeople are typing in, looking for. Like, how do I gain more confidence on a cold call? So I'll do a reel about that. Uh, what do I say when the prospect says I'm not interested in the first 10 seconds? And so we do a reel on that. So every month we have different categories and that causes our content to go viral. Like we have reels that have, you know, some of them have a million views and then others might only have 50,000 views, but it causes like that to go more viral because that's what 
most people are searching for. So every month it's different. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know we're at time. Uh, last question is just where should I send people if they're interested in, in taking advantage of learning from you and your company? Where do they go? I, we'll give them some hors d'oeuvres first, some some free nibbles. Um, just have them join our one of our uh, Facebook groups for free. That's a good place to start. Okay. Um, go to have them go to salesrevolution.pro, salesrevolution.pro.pro. And right when they join, uh, everybody check your Facebook Messenger. We'll have somebody in our team message over to you a free training. We'll give you um, give you the yeah we'll give you the one hundred and one uh, NEPQ one hundred and one mini course. It's just like basic. It's just like a list of different questions you can ask for different sales situations. Cool. That alone will probably help them sell more than what they are now. And we go live in the group three or four times a week with different Q&As, different trainings, stuff like that. And th those are little nibbles that we give out. And they want more advanced training if they're wanting like double, triple, quadruple their sales or their company. Just have a message me in that group and tell the, you know, because sometimes every once in a while I'll get in there and respond. But, you know, maybe 20 minutes a day. But most of the time it's somebody on my team. Yeah. Right. And just tell them, Hey, I heard Jeremy on a podcast. I'm interested in like their advanced training options. And they'll book you in with one of our team members that will go over like uh, training options we have that are industry specific for their industry. Awesome. Awesome. Jeremy, thank you so much, man, for being here. I really appreciate it. Hey, it was a pleasure, man. I love your show. Thank you. I right, appreciate it, buddy. Founders. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.